not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, and of course that means all of you who are online this morning, uh, if, I've not had, if I haven't had a chance to greet you yet, I want to welcome you to our service today. As you can tell, in our second service, this mask is going to be problematic to get off of my ear thing, so they didn't have a mask taking off class in seminary, so I'm still learning that skill, so I'm hoping you can pick it up. There we go. All right. We do have a baptism in our second service, as you can see, and we had baptisms last week. I would love it if we needed to do baptisms every week. That would be great. And I, I really would love for you to join us in prayer along those lines that, that we would need to baptize people more frequently because more and more people are moving out of darkness into God's marvelous light as we go forward. And, um, you know, one of the reasons why we have been doing uh, the videos, as you see, and you'll see that'll be a part of our experience as we go on. First of all, it opens up participation for those who, who can't eat, you know, who don't feel like they should be coming for a number of different reasons. But on top of that, it actually enhances the experience of the folks who are joining us online as well, right? It's, it's what they see online is a, is a little better. They get a little bit. So I'm grateful to Jack and Charlotte who've been doing our welcome and our announcements. And this morning you had Fran who, do, who did our, um, our uh, veterans prayer for us. And I want to take a moment as we begin today just to pray for our nation. It appears, all things being equal at this point, we have a new president. And, and some of us are thrilled, some of us maybe are less thrilled. Um, I don't think that matters. What the scripture says as God's people is that we need to throw our hearts and our prayers behind our new president and all the other elected leaders and be as diligent to pray for them whether we wanted them to be elected or not. And so that's really our obligation. And I think it's a great moment as, as churches across America to really show whether or not we take the word of God seriously. If we only want to obey it when we like the person we're praying for, or whether or not we're really going to pray fervently for our leadership, even when we may or may not be excited about who is, who is our leader at the moment. So I'd like to lead us in a word of prayer for just a minute, and then we'll get into our word for today. God, I'm grateful that we live in a place like the United States where we can go to the polls, not fearful that we're going to be attacked or arrested for the way we vote or the things that we see. God, I'm grateful that you are sovereign over all of it. And today, Father, as we pray for our nation, we do pray for a peaceful and effective and efficient transfer of leadership from our current president to the one who will serve us next. God, I pray you'd use him as your instrument, that he would be an instrument that gets used around our nation and around our world to bring peace, to be a vehicle of hope, to be used in a way that brings unity. So God, we pray for our incoming president. We ask you to bless him and to use him, fully confident that we know that you are sovereign over all. And Father, I pray for hope. It's just a representative of the, of the church across America that, Father, we would take to heart 
your challenge to us to pray for our leaders and to submit to the government authorities that are over us unless they ask us to do something that just isn't right in your eyes. And God, that that testimony would be used of you to expand your kingdom. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Though I will say, I'm glad the election is over. <laughs> so the ads will change quite a bit, right? And now we can just wait for the Super Bowl ads that are coming up next, right? That'll be the next series. So, you know, um, grateful for all those who join us online. Just a word. I'm, I'm still getting used to this whole thing of looking at people in our sanctuary, and we are relatively full today, even though we are fully socially distant. But we also have a number of people who are joining us online in real time and many more that will join us in the next six to seven days as their weeks unfold. So it's great to have you with us as well. And, you know, I was thinking this week in preparation for today's message how much I have really enjoyed being a parent. Our oldest son is 32, been coming up unmarried seven years. No grandkids yet. I'm looking forward to being a grandparent at some point as well. And then we have a son who's 29, who just had his first anniversary, and, uh, and both of them are married to just great, great ladies, and, and they're great additions to our family, and we're blessed to have them. But, you know, I thought back on all the different phases of parenthood I've been through. I mean, believe it or not, I really liked that phase of parenthood where, you know, you, you had to carry your kid everywhere. Remember, you know, I, I love those moments when, when, you know, at three months old, I had him in a backpack on my back while I'm cutting the grass on my tra- with my old tractor and the smoke is going everywhere. You know, maybe I should have put a mask on them back then, right, to keep the smoke out. You know, I love those days. I, you know, I loved it when I had to scoop the whatever gross stuff they were eating that they call baby food off the corner of their mouths as you were feeding them, you know. And then when they got to be toddlers and preschoolers, just you know, the, the almost nightly wrestling matches that we were had were, was great stuff. And then, of course, you know, um, you know, as they got older and got into grade school and they started playing in town sports. And, you know, I, 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 I've tallied it up before. I think between the boys playing basketball and baseball, Christina and I saw somewhere between like 1,200 and 1,500 games over their journey. You know, because there was times at the end where our youngest son was playing almost 100 games a year when it came to baseball. And I, Christina can tell you, I used to drive her nuts, right? When I, when I couldn't get to a game, I made sure that every time one of them came up to bat, she got me on the phone, right? And she had to get, she had, literally had to give me a play-by-play call on how the at-bat went, right? You know, oh, he took the first pitch, you know, and or the, no, that was a called strike. And, you know, if he fouled it off, all right, was it straight back? Was, was, was he right on it? Was he late? Is it going right? Is it, she had to give me all the details, drove her nuts, but she tolerated all of it. You know, and, and, I, and I've just, and I've, I love doing their weddings and then seeing their new family. I've loved every phase of being a parent. It's just been great. And some challenges in there as well, right? But it's been great. But I will tell you, some of the greatest moments in parenting were those moments when they could start doing stuff for themselves and I didn't have to do it for them. Two examples. I mean, one of the greatest moments in parenting is that first Saturday morning where they're capable of getting up, getting their own cereal, and turning on the cartoons, and so you can sleep past 6 a.m., right? It's just a great morning when that happens, right? You know, you can put the bowls out with the fork, you put the, you guys just get this, go in here, and it's a great thing, you can sleep a little later, right? Until they start yelling and screaming at one another or fighting or something, then you got to get up and take care of that stuff. The other one, 
was when, when they finally got their driver's license and I no longer had to go pick them up from work at, at 11 o'clock at night, right? You know, they're washing dishes somewhere or something and I had to go out at like 11 o'clock at night. You know, it's like, man, it was so great when you could say, here are the keys, <laughs> right? Be careful and be home right out. You know, that, it was great, right? And I got to tell you, they had a drive to be independent, right? When, when, when they finally figured out that they could tie their own shoes, they wanted to tie their own shoes. When they figured out that they could zipper up their own coat, they wanted to zipper up their own coat, right? You know, and that kind of thing. It, it, over, they loved being independent, right? And, and there's, I think there's something about our human nature that drives us to wanting to be independent, to do it for ourselves, but I got to tell you, when we bring that attitude over to our new life in Christ, related to our relationship, it's a death trap. It, it, it is one of the primary things that we can do that will mess up the perfection that God's done in Jesus Christ. He said his son who was perfect, who provided us a perfect salvation, and we have been made perfect in him. But when we start trying to take that back to say, I want to do this for myself, I got to tell you, it's going to be less than perfect. And it's that dynamic that's going on in our text for today in the book of Colossians. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to grab the, uh, uh, it and turn to the book of Colossians. Many of you have your cell phones with you or tablets or whatever and you want to get on our wi-fi you're welcome to do that we do have a guest wi-fi that you can use and of course those of you who are at home can use whatever is available to you as we go forward you know and just a little bit of context we're only about 30 years after jesus has died and been resurrected right so that's half of my lifetime so in many ways god is still revealing through Christ, through the church, into his word, the truth that we need to live our lives by. And so these Colossian Christians, who were like Paul's spiritual grandchildren, they had come to know Christ and formed a church through someone that Paul had led to Christ in Ephesus. And they're about 100 miles inland in what is today modern-day Turkey. And, and there's this small little community where they have a church, and they're trying to figure out, all right, what is it that we do now? Right? We, we're, 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 we're now new creatures in Christ. Now what do we do? And there's this independent spirit that's being plied upon by false teachers from the outside that says, you know what? Now you've got to go back up and you've got to do this all for yourself. Right? Jesus showed you how to do it. Now you've got to go back and do it all for yourself. And so Paul hears about this in Rome, and he's not only concerned for the Colossians, he's concerned for all of us as well. And you know what? So is God. So God prompts Paul to pick up his pen and write, and he writes to these spiritual grandchildren, and through them he writes to us, and God tells us what we need to know about how to deal with this sense of independent spirit. Like, I want to do this for myself, right? Kind of idea. So what I want you to do is follow along with me. We're going to just deal with seven verses today. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. We've already covered 
the, the whole book up to this point in time as we've been studying Colossians. You can go back and get that off of our website. The messages are there. And we're, we're looking at this through, through the eyes of just perfect. Because God has done for us in Christ what is just perfect. Verse 16. So Paul's writing to them. He says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath days. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices, in the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Some people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual minds, right? He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grow with growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these, are regula- all these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. What he means by that, and I'll get back to this in just a minute, he says, it goes in as food, it comes out as waste, Right? He says, all this stuff is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. All these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, right? The independent spirit, false humility, and severe treatment of of the body. And they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Let me put it in another translation. The idea is they are not in any that they are not of any value of ridding yourself of the fleshly nature and embracing your new creation in Christ. So let's let's look at this text a little bit. First of all, let's ask what's going on in the church in Colossae, so we can kind of know, and then from there, let's look what God has to say about it. And then from there, let's look at what it really means for us, the truths that we need to take away for ourselves. So what's the first thing that's going on in this text? And, and, and you know, right away when it says, don't let anybody judge you, don't let anybody condemn you, what you have is you have a group of people who are walking in, and they're saying, you got to do this, 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 and you can't do that, 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 and, and man, you know what, and if you don't do this, and you, stop, and you don't stop doing that, then man, you know what, you can't be a Christian. And, and the Colossians are getting it in stereo. And what I mean by that, on one side, I'll try to stay in the, 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 the frame here, Mike. In one side, they've got, they got the Jewish culture that they grew up in. This church is mainly made up of Jews who had been living in Colossae or in that region for decades and, there, and the estimates are there might have been as many as 50,000 along the river valley that were in there. So they got this Jewish side that's talking to them about all the festivals they got to keep and all the, you know, because they can't go to the temple and give an offering. So there's festivals you got to do and new moon stuff and everything you eat's got to be kosher and you got to wash your hands a number of times. And they're getting all of that from one side. And then on the other side, you got the Greek worldview, right? 
that's telling them there's a whole bunch of stuff you need to know. And on top of that, the matter is evil. Remember, we've been talking about that. So you need to kind of get your body under control and you need to deny it. You need to embrace this ascetic practice. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. So if it, if it comes out like something else, just know what I mean is that they're treating it. You know, Man, you got to control it. And, and that kind of stuff got out of hand. You know, I, I don't know if this is where I had it in my notes, but they, the, some parts of the church so embraced this idea of, of trying to deny the body and overcome this and, and, and treat it severely that they, they literally went to a place where they starved themselves, they beat themselves, they came to a place where, and we see this happening in the Corinthians church, they, they, they wondered if it was even appropriate for a Christian husband and a Christian wife to make love. Right? And, they, and, they act, and later as it evolved, they actually get to a place that they celebrated that somebody had so neglected their body that when they walked down the road, the lice was just falling off of them. Right? Because they were denying the body. That's that kind of stuff. Man, there's all this stuff you got to do. Right? And what, what, is, what does God say to us through Paul? said, man, you know what? You don't need to be doing that stuff. He said, so they've got all this false teaching coming in. Saying you got to do this, 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 and this, and this, or you just can't be a faithful follower of Christ. Right? Secondly, we see here is that there are those who claim that they had special revelation. Right? Look at verse 18. It says, You got these folks that come in, right? And they're trying to condemn you. They're trying to say, We know better than you because we have access to stuff that you don't have access to. Right? So we, 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 we've had visions. We've been to the fifth heaven. We've been to the sixth heaven. We've been to the seventh heaven. And Jesus has just taken you to the first heaven. So man, you need to listen to us. And there's these false teachers who come in saying, here's all the stuff that you need to be doing. And I got to tell you, that kind of stuff didn't stop in the first century. That, that kind of idea of, I've been to the mountaintop and I know better than you, that stuff didn't stop in the first century. I mean, we have several major religions in the, Amer in the United States that started with just that idea. You've got Joseph Smith, who started Mormonism, right? I, I've had a special discovery, and I know stuff that nobody else knows. Mary Baker Eddy, I've had an insight, right, that nobody else knows, and yet the Christian science movement started. And it's, so I, I've had special access. Right? We even see it now, you, 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 you know, you, you'll see guys on television who say, I know that Jesus is going to come back on March 12th, you know, 2025, because they've seen something in the scripture that all the rest of us who are embedded with the Holy Spirit have missed. They've got a special revelation, right? And we hear that kind of stuff all the time. And one of the things I'd say to you, if you, if you were hearing something that is not being affirmed, by a wide swath of biblical scholars, you should question it. If, if you hear me teaching something from the Word of God and I'm the only one who's teaching it, you ought to be skeptical. You ought to be skeptical because that's not, God loves clarity. It is in His heart to communicate and He's not trying to make it tricky. And listen, we've got to be careful. You know, one of the, one of the other things, I, you know, I... 
there's lots of stuff, a lot of different emotions and dynamics and everything else flowing around with this whole coronavirus thing. And, you know, one, one, of, the, one of the thought patterns that kind of emerged out of a little section of the, of the thing was, that, you know what, because, it, because we are healed by Christ's blood, right? By his wounds we are healed. We don't have to worry about the coronavirus because Jesus' blood will heal us. Right, and that, and, and we literally have, have seen that on social media posts, even some from some people who worship with us at Hope Chapel, and you know, and you look at it and say, okay, now if that's true, everybody who's taken high blood pressure medicine must have an insufficient faith. Every single one of us who are obese must have an in, insufficient faith. Every single one of us who maybe has diabetes or asthma, or something else. We have insufficient, it's just ridiculous, but we buy into this stuff. Or he says, man, watch out for the false teachers. So they had these false teachers, right? On top of that, they embedded this stuff with false humility, right? Look down at verse 30, 23. It says they, 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 you know, they have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, that independent spirit, like my kids getting to get their own cereal, right? And it leads to false humility. And here's the way that false humility was working out there. It's like, you know what? I'm not going to God's throne room. I'll just pray to an angel who's down behind below him because I'm not good enough. And so you had the worship of angels that began. You know, I don't want to presume, right? You know, I'm humble enough to know that I don't belong in God's throne room. So I'll just pray to an angel or I'll just pray to a saint right? And that kind of idea, well, I'll just do this because I don't want to go and, and directly because I don't want to presume, right? And I got to tell you, sometimes it's a whole lot easier to think about praying to a beautiful angel than it is to pray to a battered savior, right? And so we, we'd rather go there. And, it, it makes us, it's, and this is all rooted in false humility. And the source of false humility is pride. And the reason I say that is, what did Jesus say? What did, what did God say to us? He, said, he says, I want you to boldly enter and come before my throne of grace. And they're saying, no, 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 no. I'm not good enough for that. And they're saying it out of pride. I know better than God does. And they couch pride in false humility. So what does God do with this? God says, first of all, what does God say to, in response to this as we see it flow out of the text, right? The first thing he says, listen, the false teachers don't speak to me, for me because they don't know me. They don't know me. Look, look, at verse, look at verse 18, right? 19, sorry. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God. He said, he said these guys are like a chicken running around with its heads cut off. Now, I've never seen that. Uh, I was invited to watch that in Rwanda one time, but I declined the invitation. Some of you have experienced that, right? These guys, he said, these guys are like chickens running around with their heads cut off because they are not connected to Christ, right? They sound good, they look good, but they, but they are not connected to Christ. So do not listen to them because they don't know me and therefore they don't know what I'm talking about. Right? And, and one of the things about these visions, when we, when we generate man-made visions, you know what? We very often see what we want to see. 
rather than what God wants to reveal, right? He says, so don't listen to these guys because these guys don't know me. Second thing he says is this. He says, the shadow has been eliminated. <clears throat> look, at verse, look at verse 17. He says, these are shadow of what was to come, and this is all the instruction about food and drink and matters of festivals and new boons and Sabbath. All that stuff is in the Old Testament, right? Can't deny it. It's in the Old Testament. He said, but those things were a shadow of the light that was to come. You know, when I sit, get up early in the morning and sit in our, in our living room and the sun starts to come up from the east, you see shadows across my front yard. As the, as, as the light shines on the trees, you see the shadows across the front yard. Right? He said, he said those things that you saw, that all the stuff about food, drink, Sabbath, special, those things were shadows. They were there to show you that the light is really coming. The light's coming. And guess what? The light has come, and that light is Jesus. <laughs> so don't go back to the shadows. Stay in the light. Right? That's what he's saying. You know, the, 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 you're looking at these things, and, and they're, they're gone. And it flows right into it. He says, so don't cling to what's obsolete. I mean, the shadow has been replaced by the light, right? The substance has showed up instead of just the shadow of it. He says, with that, so to stop clinging to the obsolete, you know, so don't out of a spirit of wanting to be independent, keep grabbing on to all this stuff because it feels like it gives you something to do and you feel like you can earn it. He said, man, you got to release all that stuff. And again, you just look at verses 20. He said, you know what? If you died to, with Christ in the elements of this world, why are you still trying to live by him? Right? You died to an old way of life trying to please God on your own. And you've been made new and alive in this perfect relationship that God's given you with Jesus Christ with himself. Why are you still trying to live in the old one? Right? Why are you doing that? It's obsolete. It's gone. Right? And then he goes on. Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. He said all these regulations refers to what is destined to perish by, you, by, using, by being used up. He says, how in the world can your relationship with a God who's trying to give you eternity be based, be based upon the fact of how you handle that which you drink and it passes into you and flows out as waste? How can that have anything to do? With that, right? It, it, it just doesn't make people turn, don't they, don't they, don't they. So that stuff just doesn't work, never did. It was a part of your symbol of your desire to walk with me. And, 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 and he said, and that stuff is gone. It's obsolete. It's, it's past. Don't do that anymore, right? So you've died to that way of stuff and, and, and just forget about the whole consumable things. He also says, be careful where you get your truth from. Be careful where you get your truth from. Look at verse 23, and I'm, we're going to go back there for another point a little later. He says, these guys, they have a reputation for wisdom. But they're not wise. Right? They're chickens running around with their heads cut off, right? So you need to be careful where you get your wisdom from. You need to be careful where you get your truth from. They, they'll sound good. They have a reputation for wisdom. They're going to give you stuff you can do that seems to make sense, if you will. Maybe even based upon what you know, false humility. And, all, and, 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 this, and i got to tell you, this kind of stuff still is good. You need to be careful where you get your truth from. You back up earlier, and he talks about the fact that these are human commands, right? right? They're they, they, they empty notions of a unspiritual mind. He says, you've got to be careful where you get this stuff 
from. And, and I got to tell you, this, this is so, it, it just infiltrates so much. I mean, there, there are ways that people get convinced about stuff that is just, you know, one of the notions that goes on is that you need to be under the covering of some kind of a spiritual authority in order for you to be okay. Right? So you got churches that sign up to be underneath some prophet or something so they can be under his covering. God's already said, Jesus is the only covering you need. Why in the world are you buying into that stuff? Watch out where you get your truth from. So what does that mean for us? Living the new life today. And this is really one I want to settle down. I'm sorry I'm a little agit- a little wound up this morning, right? So, and some of that's just the excitement of seeing all of you and getting to drink coffee out of my new Hope Chapel cup. <laughs> Hear the first message. Skip the guilt trip. Skip the condemnation. Right? Just take it and punt it. Skip it. He says, don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody condemn you, right? Just take the guilt trip and get rid of it, right? Not only from others, but also from yourself, right? Just get... Now listen, there's a difference. We need to note the difference between guilt and conviction because conviction's a good thing, right? Guilt is anathema in the, in the eyes of the Lord. Guilt says... I'm worthless, I'm a failure, I don't matter, and, 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 and we're full of shame. Conviction says, I'm not all of who I can be, and I can get there with God's help. Right? Conviction shows me where I'm, I'm off and where I can grow. Guilt tells me that I can't grow at all, and I'm a failure. Skip the guilt, right? Skip the condemnation. Reject the judgment. Embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but skip the rest of it because it's gone. There is none, right? And you need to get rid of it. All that judgment, all that condemnation is gone. Anybody have problems with guilt? Just See, the rest of you are all lying, right? Now you need to go to confession. I'm just teasing. My wife says, I don't, I don't feel guilty enough, uh, that a little bit more guilt in my life would, would do me good. And she's probably right. I should listen to that. Anyway, you know, secondly, it, it, and th- this is subtle, but pay attention not just to what you do, but why you're doing it. Let me say that again. Pay attention, not to just what you do, but why are you doing it, right? One more time, pay attention to not just what you do, but why you're doing it. See, Christianity ultimately is about the heart. And God's agenda for us and I'm probably going to run my points together here, God's agenda for us is not to become better at mastering our faults. God's agenda for us is to become a new creature in Christ. And that new creature in Christ only comes to fruition in our lives when we fall head over heels in love with God. 
So I got to tell you, you know what? You could be reading your Bible more than you ever have before. You can be praying more than you ever have before. You may be showing up and coming to services more than you ever have before. But I got to tell you, if it's all of it is just the sheer exercise of your own will, it's not going to get you to go where God, where you want to go in your spiritual journey. Because it has to be an act of love for God. Right? And it has to be an act of love for God. So pay attention, right, to what you're doing, but more so pay attention to why you are doing it. Because if you're doing the right things for the wrong reasons, you're not going to get what I see in my next point. You need to pay attention to the results, right? You're not going to get the harvest out of your spiritual disciplines, and I'm not saying discipline's a bad thing. Independence is a bad thing spiritually. Discipline's a good thing, right? Well, you're not going to get the harvest out of your spiritual di- disciplines if it's about me doing what I have to do rather than doing what I want to do and walking with. And so one of the things he says to us is make sure you're aware of the results that are going on. And I, and I come back to verse 23. So, you know, all these things have a reputation for wisdom, right? For promoting self-man religion and, 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 and severe treatment. So they are not of any value in curbing self-addition. They are not in any value of minimizing the old self and putting on the new self. If you're doing it sheerly out of a desire to prove yourself, that you can do this before God. You see, our growth in God is not about our exercise of our personal will. It is based upon our acts of love towards a God who has redeemed us. And it's powerful stuff. So one of the questions we really need to ask ourselves as we go forward is, am I just more disciplined Am, am I just more, you know, do I, do I have a stronger sense of will than I used to, or is my character really changed? Am I transformed? Am I just better and not using my mouth in a foul way, right? Or am I, have I just managed my finances more so I can give more money or whatever? Have I just cleared up my calendar so I can serve more? Is it, it's just more about, is it the exercise of our will or is it the fact that these are the things that I now want to do and my heart is drawn there because I'm changing as a person of Christ? That, that's what he's asking us to do. Paul's saying, listen, God has let you die to all that stuff. Christ is in you. You are in him. It's this whole immersion thing's going on. And what he's got before you is the treasures of heaven. And it comes when you pursue him out of love, not out of necessity. So look for the fruit and what's coming. Last statement I'm going to make, and then we're going to move into our communion experience, is, listen, the goal that we need to have is not just to know how to be a Christian, but really to be a Christian, to know Christ, right? The, our goal needs to be to know Christ, not just how to be a Christian. Let that sink in for again for a moment. I, I know these are kind of... 
what God has set up for us in Jesus Christ is for us to be able to know him. Way too many of us at times settle for simply knowing how to be a Christian. And, 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 and Paul, Paul sitting in this prison, hundreds of miles removed, days of travel removed, chained to a Roman soldier awaiting his trial. He has no access to his people, and his heart is breaking because he doesn't want them just to know how to be a Christian. He wants them to know the Christ that he met on the Damascus Road back in Acts chapter 9. And, 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 and he's just pleading with them not to settle back into a spirit of independence. I did it myself religion but to embrace the gift that God has given us of being new creatures because of our relationship with Christ. And one of the, one of the questions I want to ask everybody who's viewing us online and everybody who's sitting in, in our worship center this morning, do you really know Christ? Do you really know Christ? Or has it really been about just knowing how to be a Christian? How to walk like a Christian, talk like a Christian, do those kinds of things? Or do you really know Christ? Jesus is the full representation of who God is so that we can know him. And my invitation for you today is to know Christ. To know Christ. And if you're ready to take that step today, I, I hope you'll let somebody know, whether it's somebody you're watching the, the video with, or maybe you'll talk to me as we're making our way out. It's actually going to be a gorgeous day to visit out in the parking lot right on our way out. Right? It's going to be like 60 degrees. I never thought I'd have to take the covers off the air conditioning units, right? <laughs> Second week of November. It's just amazing. Great stuff. But listen, tell somebody that you've taken that step. Go public and get the journey going of knowing Christ. Let me pray, and then we're going to do communion together. God, thank you for your word today. I pray even after this message is, is proclaimed today that we'd skip the guilt. Some of us say, man, you know, I, I should skip the guilt. Embrace the possibilities that come from a God who loves us and the love that we have in our hearts for him. Father, I pray for those today who don't know you. They know, may know about you. They may know about some of the things that people who love you do and say and act and all that kind of stuff, but they don't really know you. Father, I'm grateful that they can today, and I pray that they will by acknowledging their need for a Savior, recognizing that they can't do this on their own, and embracing the gift that you've given in Jesus Christ, which we experience in our lives by placing our faith in him. Father, I pray that they would do that today. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the reminders that we have today that we can be new creatures in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.